Whether providing a luxury experience or a home away from home, hotels deal in comfort. However, horrific events and paranormal encounters lurk under the surface of many of these picturesque getaways. Locations like the Stanley Hotel, the inspiration for the Overlook in Stephen King's The Shining, or the Cecil Hotel and its dark past, including Elisa Lamb's death, are well known. They have left a stain on our collective psyche. It can shatter the beautiful facade and leave us wondering who visited the room before us. What may have happened in the hotel, and more frighteningly still, did some guests never check out? In this episode of Seriously Strange, we delve into some of the freakiest hotels you may not have heard of. And if you find yourself in the area and in need of a place to stay, consider these some of our personal recommendations. Built by four men in six months, the Alaskan Hotel and Bar opened in 1913 during the Gold Rush. It's the oldest still-functioning hotel in Alaska. With a long stint serving the public, no establishment could be without its darker events. The hotel was initially hailed as a pocket version of the finest hostelry on the West Coast. However, the hotel was not without its seedier underbelly. It also operated as a brothel, catering to the needs of those men who ventured west to find their fortune in gold. When Prohibition came into law, the hotel also acted as an illegal speakeasy. In Juneau, the Alaskan Hotel and Bar is one of the oldest buildings in the historic district and the most haunted. One of the most well-known specters is that of a woman named Alice. The story goes that Alice was the wife of a gold miner. Her husband had moved them north when the word of gold in the Klondike reached them. The couple stayed together at the Alaskan Hotel for some time. Before long, her husband had to go on a prospecting trip and left Alice alone. When he didn't return for weeks on end, it became clear to her that he may never return likely falling victim to the rough and unforgiving terrain of the Alaskan wilderness. That kind of thing was far from unheard of. Left with few options and without another way to support herself, Alice began to work in the brothel within the hotel. However, her husband had not perished. When he returned to find his wife not only in bed with another man, but having become a prostitute, he flew into a rage. He drew his revolver and shot the man to death while he lay in the bed. He then turned the gun on Alice and shot her as well, right there in room 218. And while her body drained of life, he turned the gun on himself. It's in room 218 that Alice's spirit remains for the most part. Her ghost is seen in the nightgown she had been wearing when murdered, and visitors and staff alike have interacted with Alice. 
She lingers in rooms 218 and 318, sitting on the beds. Housekeepers report items being moved and misplaced in these rooms. Other encounters are that of a pool of blood that seeps out from under the door of room 218. Alice is not the only death on the premises of the Alaskan Hotel and Bar. In 2017, a 37-year-old man died in his room. Acquaintances who had been sharing the room with the naval veteran noticed he wasn't snoring. When they felt his body, he was ice-cold to touch. Authorities were called and the father of three was pronounced dead. Due to there being no signs of trauma, the death was ruled not suspicious. While an autopsy was performed, the details surrounding it are not available to the public. The Alaskan Hotel and Bar is no stranger to naval patrons. One of the most infamous events recorded at the site was that of a sailor who, upon checking in, specifically asked to rent a haunted room. A guided missile cruiser was in the port and the hotel was busy, so the owner decided to put the man in room 315. The unassuming room on the third floor was host to many of the longest-running stories of paranormal encounters. People naturally avoid 315, often claiming it has a presence all its own. Staff attempt not to rent it out, as visitors have been known to flee in horror in the middle of the night. On this May night in 2007, renting the room would lead to a tragic event that has left an indelible mark on the property. A few hours after checking in, a commotion could be heard coming from the room, and the Juneau police were called about the disturbance. Officers were directed to the third floor, however the door to 315 was locked, but the yelling could be heard inside. Reportedly, it sounded like more than one person speaking, and one voice was pleading to be let out. Simultaneously, officers continued to knock when another visitor let them know that the sailor who had been in the room was seen jumping out of the window. The police broke down the door and were greeted with a gruesome scene. One officer is quoted as saying, The walls were covered in blood. It looked like something very bad had happened in there and I didn't know what it was, but it didn't look normal. The sailor jumped right through the glass. His body hit the window of the room below, shattering it before he came to an abrupt halt when he hit the ground. Incredibly, he was able to walk and made it to the street where he was found. The young man was medevaced out of Juno and did survive his injuries. However... He has never spoken publicly about what had occurred in room 315 that night. Rumors and tales of ghostly encounters are traded like currency in the bar of the hotel. Everything from time-traveling rooms to a body found in a hot tub in the basement is said to have happened in its historic walls. Still openly accepting guests... The Alaskan Hotel and Bar will gladly add to its infamy, at least if the spirits that dwell there have anything to say about it.
Overlooking the beautiful Ozark Mountains in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, is the Crescent Hotel and Spa. First established in 1886, it was hailed as America's most luxurious resort hotel. The rich and affluent flock there for a relaxing getaway and to take advantage of the local natural springs that reportedly offered healing properties. However, bad luck seemed to strike the hotel right from the very start. An Irish stonemason known only as Michael died during the hotel's construction. When he fell from the roof, he landed and died on the spot where later Room 218 would be built. Even after the hotel opened, things didn't go well for long. The hotel quickly became unmanageable. It remained empty for large portions of the year and fell into disrepair. In 1908, the hotel took on new life as the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. Still, the college was not without its tragedy as well. The story goes that late one night, a student was standing on the third balcony. The young woman either threw herself off of the balcony or was pushed. Later, upon examination of her body, it was apparent that the woman was pregnant. No further information surrounding the death is known, however the troubled spirit remains at the hotel. She earned the name The Girl in the Mist, and on clear nights at around 10.30pm, some guests of the hotel will wait on the east lawn and watch the third floor balcony. It's said that a light mist will descend from there to the ground. On some occasions, shocked witnesses have claimed to see the full-body apparition of the woman falling to her death. The time spent as a college was short-lived. Due to the financial strain of the Great Depression, the college closed in 1934. A few years later, a radio personality and charlatan who passed himself off as a doctor would reopen the hotel again. Norman G. Baker purchased the Crescent Hotel in 1937 and converted it to Baker's Cancer Curing Hospital. While having no medical degree of his own, Baker would denounce licensed doctors as educated fools and cutters incapable of helping patients. He advertised a strict regimen of fresh air, healthy food, and exercise as the basis for his cancer treatments. This treatment was supplemented with an elixir labeled Cure 5. However, it was nothing more than snake oil that consisted mostly of watermelon and alcohol. The patients of the hospital suffered greatly for their trust in the fake doctor, one of the so-called treatments inflicted on patients was known as the needle treatment. It involved sticking five to seven needles per day filled with Cure 5 and other phony medicines into areas afflicted with tumors. Hundreds of people suffering with cancer came to Norman Baker looking for a cure, but only found more suffering and even death. The number of those who met their fate within Baker's Cancer Curing Hospital is unknown. At least 44 were confirmed dead. There was a morgue on site deep in the basement. 
the walk-in freezer was said to be overflowing with bodies. At points, the dead were left on the floor or stacked atop each other until they could be claimed or discreetly disposed of. It's said that Baker would cut the tumors from his dead patients, keeping them preserved to study, using them to advertise for his miracle cure. Unfortunately for him, he was quietly being investigated by federal authorities. Norman had been run out of his home state of Iowa for illegally practicing medicine without a license. As a marked man, investigators soon closed in, and by January of 1940, he was on trial for mail fraud. The opinion handed down by the Court of Appeals said that Norman's cancer cure was a, quote, pure hoax. He was found guilty on all seven counts and was sent to Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary, where he served four years, a small price to pay for his hand in the pain and death of so many. Baker never returned to Eureka Springs. After leaving Leavenworth, he retired to Florida and died at the age of 75 from cirrhosis of the liver and cancer. In the years following Baker's departure, the Crescent Hotel passed from owner to owner, never gaining its former glory, that is, until 1997, when it was purchased by its current owners. They rebuilt the spa and renovated the hotel until it was fully restored. Today, it's one of the most visited hotels in the South. However, not all the guests arrive for the amenities and gorgeous views. Due to its sordid history, the Crescent Hotel quickly became known as one of the most haunted hotels in America. Staff and guests alike tell stories of several ghosts that are still said to inhabit the old hotel. The apparition most often cited is that of a red-haired Michael. The former stonemason is a mischievous spirit, often playing tricks on the unsuspecting visitors of room 218, where he died. Usually his pranks are mild, like knocking on the walls or turning on and off lights. Still, some patrons who spend the night in the room would be violently awoken, sometimes hearing the sounds of a man's screams, sometimes even claiming to have seen blood splattered on the walls. There's also a ghostly figure who calls herself Theodora. Most often seen by housekeepers in room 419, Theodora courteously introduces herself as a cancer patient before quickly vanishing. Guests in room 419 will often have their belongings moved and the room tidied as Theodora abhors uncleanliness. Another remnant left from the time the hotel spent as a hospital is the occasional sighting of a nurse pushing a gurney. Only spotted after 11 p.m., the time when they used to move the deceased out of the cancer hospital, the ghostly spirit vanishes when she reaches the end of the hallway. These are but a few of the spirits said to be bound to the Crescent Hotel. Even the ghosts of cats have been seen on the property. One orange tabby, lovingly named Morris, walked into the lobby of the hotel and stayed there for 21 years. When Morris eventually died, more than 300 people attended his farewell ceremony held at the hotel. 
His wake was followed by his internment on the hotel property. It's been reported quite often by hotel guests, especially when they're seated in the lobby near Morris's picture, that they have felt a cat rub up against their legs. It would appear that the Crescent Hotel will never distance itself from its past. In 2019, a landscaper stumbled upon a cache of hundreds of glass bottles buried on the property. Altogether, they discovered more than 500 bottles. Some had housed medicines or medical specimens. Others appeared to have held the tumors the fraud doctor had taken out of his patients. It would appear that the horrors of the past not only roam the halls as ghosts, but may still be physically buried on the grounds of the historic Crescent Hotel and Spa. And just who knows what they may dig up next. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Archaeologist Michael Evans says they also found 16-millimeter film that was buried. The film's in really bad shape, but we were able to lift a few little images from the film, and one of the images said uh, after or before Baker treatment. It's a, it's a, a unique find, very exciting. Covering a little over four square miles, Mackinac Island sits in Lake Huron. Settled between Michigan's upper and lower peninsulas, it's considered a popular tourist attraction with less than 500 residents calling the island their home. Arriving in Mackinac is like stepping into the past. Motorized vehicles have been banned on the island since the 19th century. The only way to get around the island is by horse-drawn carriages or bicycles. Seeming like a picture of peace straight from a Rockwell painting on the surface, Mackinac appears as sweet as the fudge that it's famous for. However, just under the surface lurks a dark and violent past going back centuries. This too can be said about the Grand Hotel. When construction began on the Grand Hotel, the workers started to literally unearth the history of Mackinac Island. As they excavated the site, vast amounts of human remains were uncovered and had not properly been reinterred. The remains were linked to the island's history of being used as a Native American burial ground. Mackinac was a place where local tribes would gather and make offerings to the Great Spirit, and was used as a burial place, especially for tribal chiefs. Legend has it that the rock formation nearby was actually a portal to the spirit world, and it was through this portal that the world was created. The island was not an area where people were meant to inhabit. It was respected and treated as a sacred space. 
It wasn't until 1670 when European explorers would establish permanent residences on the island. From 1680 onwards, military encampments were settled on Mackinac. The deep harbor and limestone bluffs would make the island hard to capture. These advantages did not prevent bloody battles from breaking out for control of the island, however. During the War of 1812, the British stormed the island. They badly outnumbered the Americans and kept control of the island by force until the war ended. So much death was seen and buried on the land the Grand Hotel inhabits that it's no wonder it's considered to be haunted. Sporting the longest porch in the world, guests trying to relax in one of the many rocking chairs have reported being disturbed by the sound of musket fire, or sometimes even the sight of soldiers running across the hotel grounds. Perhaps unsurprisingly, paranormal sightings are not limited to the outside of the building. Many have reported seeing an old man smoking a cigar and wearing a top hat in one particular section of the hotel's piano bar. The man will strike up conversations with guests only to vanish suddenly, leaving the guests in a panic and with only the scent of cigar smoke in his wake. Another specter reported by visitors is a woman in Victorian-era clothing roaming the halls. The staff has seen her as well, up close and personal. Reportedly, when spending the night in the staff-only room, the woman will get into bed, particularly with male staff members, joining them under the covers in an attempt to rest, rather passionately, with the living. Not every spirit in the hotel is friendly to those who would visit. There is a malevolent presence that has been seen and felt. One incident involved a maintenance crew working on the hotel's theater stage. The workers claimed to have seen a black mass with glowing red eyes. Unlike what one may expect, this particular entity didn't disappear after they acknowledged it. It stayed right where it was for a moment. And then, without warning, it lurched at one man full force and knocked him off his feet. The man was rushed to the hospital and didn't regain consciousness until two days after the traumatic event. Understandably, he never returned to the Grand Hotel again. They were not the only ones to have encountered the evil entity. Other visitors reported seeing the glowing red eyes or even feeling a shove. Some guests have felt this sort of activity dangerously close to the top of the stairs. No one's certain who or what the entity might be. It's only assumed to be something other than human. Whether or not it's a creature that exists between the world of the living and the dead and lingers left over from Native American rituals is unknown. What is known, however, is that its hostile intentions are clear to everyone who has had the misfortune of coming into contact with it. Even to venture off the grounds of the Grand Hotel just may lead guests to encounter supernatural happenings. Not far from the hotel itself is a site known as Skull Cave. Like the land the hotel was built on, the caves have been used as a burial site as well. 
more than 250 years ago, a group of Native Americans invaded a British fort. Twenty people were killed. Some of them had been scalped alive. A fur trader fled the stronghold and took refuge in the shallow cave, only to awaken and discover he was lying beside a heap of human bones that littered the cave's floor. Skull Cave is still a site many visitors explore today. Another area within walking distance from the hotel is that of the Drowning Pool. The story goes that in the 1700s and early 1800s, seven women were charged with witchcraft. They had been prostitutes working at a brothel. Local men would accuse them of being witches who seduced them with black magic. Back in those days, one of the methods used for determining if someone was a witch or not was to tie rocks to their feet and throw them into the water to see if they would float or not. If they died, they were deemed innocent. The seven accused women were thrown into the lagoon where all of them, unsurprisingly, sank and drowned. Legend says the women haunt the waters to this day. Visitors report seeing mysterious splashing, shadows, and dark figures floating above the surface. An additional nearby area is that of Devil's Kitchen. It's said that evil spirits who inhabit this small cave along the island shore will capture and eat people who get too close. The limestone of the cave is clearly blackened when adventurous people go inside and see. The belief is that the stone has been burned by the cooking fires of cannibalistic spirits. On an island where more of the inhabitants are dead than alive, a stay at the Grand Hotel may just end up terrifying even the most fearless of travelers. Visitors to distant destinations will usually treat their hotel rooms as a place of refuge, somewhere to unwind after the events of the day, be it business or leisure. The biggest concern on most guests' minds is just how clean the sheets are. A locked door in a room that, no matter how temporary, is our own should inspire a feeling of peace and safety. However, if you look a little closer, dig a little deeper. Too often, we find out things about our accommodations that we would have slept better without knowing. And these frightening hotels may not leave you feeling very rested after all. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.